0: We make dozens of decisions every day, whether we want to be an asset or a liability, whether we want to help move things in a good direction or move things in a bad direction, where we want to work for order or we can work for chaos. One of my pet peeves is graffiti. I I just can't stand graffiti and so blessed that uh, Sarah and Eric took the graffiti off of our stained glass window here. It was here a few weeks ago. And when I lived in Chicago, whenever there was any graffiti on the apartment complex where I lived, I would always go out and paint over it right away. There's something about getting that right away. It's, it's sort of vandalism. It's sort of, it takes away value from, from things. And if you live in a neighborhood where you might get tagged, it's, it's tough when you're trying to keep your property up and people are tagging your stuff and tagging your garage or tagging your car and that kind of stuff. And, in that sense, we can be a liability. We can actually make things worse by our presence in the world, by doing things like that, by breaking things senselessly or or vandalizing and all that kind of stuff. Or we can be an asset. And if you look at the, the slide here, there is somebody here who has restored a painting. I love looking at restored paintings. You can look them up online. Just type in restored paintings. And you see People take these ancient paintings who've gotten all dark because people smoke cigars around them and all that kind of thing, and they bring back the original color of it. In that sense, we can either deface things or we can improve things. We can take a piece of old furniture and we can sand it down and we can, we can make a beautiful thing out of it. We can take an old trailer like Wendy and I have done and, uh, and continue to work on the trailer and, and make it a beautiful thing. Uh, working on an old car. It's also a a wonderful thing to do to to bring out the old color of the car and those kinds of things. So basically, before we get to the Bible pass, I just want to say we can be an asset or a liability, and we make dozens of, of decisions every day to be one way or another. Are we going to move things forward, improve things, or are we going to degrade things? And that has to do with today's lesson. And today's commandment, we're going through the commandments of Jesus, Not the Ten Commandments, the top ten commandments that Jesus gave us, and it was actually spoken through Woody over here. We had a trustees meeting, and we asked the Lord for sermon series topics, and Woody had the idea of the commandments of Jesus. And everybody does a sermon series on the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. We've done it probably four times over the last 15 years. But... Very seldom do we look at the commands of Jesus, and it's so important to do that because he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, that begs the question, what are the commandments, and, and how do we look at them, and how do we apply them to our lives? So we're going to look at that today, how to apply them to our lives. And today's commandment is to add value, to make things better than we found them, to restore the old painting, not to spray graffiti on beautiful things, to Make the world a better place every chance we get to do that. Last week was commandment number one, which was seek first the kingdom. And we talked about that. And today we're going to look at a kingdom parable. So we're going to build on what we talked about last week, and we're going to be moving on from there. So these are not the Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston or the Old Testament. These are the Ten Commandments that Jesus gave us. And all of his commandments are so very typically Jesus. Jesus is a paradoxical figure. His commandments are counterintuitive. They're kingdom commandments, and they don't make sense in normal life, but the more we look at them, the more they make total sense. There has never been anybody who could teach like Jesus, and he taught by telling stories, narratives. Why? Because educators tell us, and I I just attended an engineering education pedagogy seminar at Olin College in Boston. I did it uh, via Zoom. And they're, they're starting to move engineering towards storytelling because storytelling tends to stick. When people hear a story that's got content in it, it tends to stick, rather than just facts. If people give you a bunch of facts, you can forget them really quickly. Have you ever noticed that now that we have area codes on phone numbers, we can't remember them? It's just too many numbers. We used to—I used to know probably a hundred, hundred fifty phone numbers. Put an area code on there, and I don't know any. I—I'm not sure I could call my son without pressing, you know, uh, just his button. It's—it's it's the way that works now, and we can't remember a bunch of facts, but we can remember a story. And Jesus taught with stories called parables, and they are so perfectly crafted that if you hear them once. You can tell them for the rest of your life. I mean, you, he turns you into a teacher in two seconds. And you see these stories, and they all contain inside of them a commandment. They contain a little commandment on the inside, but it's implied. It's not explicit. And you have to kind of figure out where you are in the story and uh, kind of make it work for there. So commandment to add value. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Please get your Bibles out or your, your tablets or your phones or however you read the Bible. And uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents. And there's a commandment in here to add value. Let me give you the context. Jesus is talking about end-time stuff at the end of the book of Matthew. Pretty scary end-time stuff. Then he does the parable of the ten virgins. You've got to be prepared. And then he surprises everybody by saying, with all of this end-time stuff, It's important to do good work in this world, is the next parable. Martin Luther was asked 500 years ago, what would you do if the world were to end tomorrow? He said, I would plant a tree. Now, whether he said that or not, he should have. Uh, Martin Luther never had an unpublished thought, so it all kind of got written down. But the idea that just because we're looking for a better world someday doesn't mean we don't work in this one. And that's why Jesus put this parable here. He's doing end-time stuff, and then he goes right into the marketplace. Right into the marketplace. We don't just let this world burn and forget about it. We engage in this world because of the Lord returning. The Lord returning means he's going to come in power to reign, and he's going to set everything right, and he's going to renew creation. At the end of the book of Revelation, I don't care what your end-times view is, because none of us know for sure until it happens. But at the very end of the book of Revelation, we end up on a renewed earth looking up at a renewed heaven. Wendy and I were listening to a radio show yesterday going through uh, Oceanside. And there's a Catholic radio station. I'm not bashing Catholics or anything. But this person came on and said, heaven is the most important thing. Heaven is your ultimate destination. And it's not. Our ultimate destination is here, ruling with the Lord. And no matter what your end times view is, that's where the Bible ends. That's where the story ends. We're here on a renewed earth, and God gets his way with creation. And so the context of this parable is he's moving here from end times thinking. He's not saying this isn't going to happen. He says, because I'm coming back, you need to be adding value. And don't just sit around waiting for me to return. Don't just sit around saying, oh, I just can't wait to go to heaven someday. Do some good while you're here. Add some value. This is a command of Jesus. Let's look at the passage. This is how he starts all of his passages. The kingdom is like. Folks, he's about to say the kingdom is like a marketplace. The kingdom is not heaven someday. He says the kingdom is right here when you're doing business, when you're making stuff happen, when you're making money, when you're getting out there increasing wealth. So he starts his parables by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he obviously doesn't mean the afterlife someday. He's talking about having resources and making them into more resources. And this is something which a lot of Christians don't want to think about. But it's right here. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. And, of course, he's talking about himself because he's about to go now and be absent for a while. And he says in this story that he is coming back. So we don't spend all of our time waiting for him to come back. We want to be ready. But during that time, we're supposed to be adding value. Don't waste your time looking up at the sky waiting for me. Do something while I'm gone. Man traveling to a far country, called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one, he gave five talents. I have to tell you what a talent is. In today's purchasing power parity, PPP, that's an economics term. One talent is worth $750,000. Five talents is a lot of money. It's over $3 million. It's a lot of money. So he gave him a ton of money. You might think, well, how did they have money? Like, folks, Jesus dealt with people like this all the time. Jesus was most likely a prosperous building contractor with stone, and he never talked like a laborer or a poor carpenter. It I'll go into that another time. That's a whole other sermon. But uh, he was living in a first world country. The Roman Empire was not like today's Global South. We see all these these Jesus movies of people running around in bathrobes and just living in squalor. It's not the way it was. People in the Roman Empire had a life expectancy of 70. Seventy. And they had nursing homes, hot and cold running water, pension plans. I mean, this was a first world country. There was a lot of wealth floating around. Look at the architecture from back then. Some of it's still around. Fantastic stuff. Aqueducts that we don't know how to, They were better at boring concrete than we are now. They could pour concrete underwater to make piers. We haven't figured out quite how to do that. They were amazing engineers and fantastically prosperous people. The Roman Empire was a first world country. And there were lots of people with talents like this, lots of people with this kind of money. And these are the kind of business people Jesus dealt with. Why do you think he had tax collectors around him all the time? Because they were coming after him because he, well, anyways. One, he gave five talents. That's a lot of money. Another, he gave two. That's a million and a half. To the third one, he gave one talent, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So he's obviously writing himself into the story right here. I'm leaving you incredible wealth. I'm going away. Do something with it while I am gone. And don't just sit around waiting for me to come back. Be ready. But while you're ready, get some work done. Make stuff happen. We always used to do this with our son. He had a tendency to get into trouble once in a while in high school. And uh we would go away. And he'd say, When are you coming back? I said, we're not sure it could be any time. And we did that just so he would. Uh, and I think Jesus does that with us, too, just just, because just uh, you know, he kind of messes with us that way. It could be any time. You know, it just could be any time. And so we did that with our son because then he couldn't do whatever he would do and be sure we weren't coming back. But anyways, immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five went and traded with them and made another five talents, 100% profit. Who here would like an employee who could make you 100% profit? Who thinks this person would never have to look for a job again? This 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 is the kind of person you promote and you give even more next time. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he comes back to settle accounts. What have you done in my absence? What have you gotten done? So he would receive five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides that. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, look, you delivered to me two talents, a million five. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. Here's $3 million. So far, so good. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things and enter into the joy of your Lord. A few things. I mean, think about it. If they're looking at a million and a half as few things, these are prosperous people. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you would be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown. You're a tough boss and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was what? Afraid. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. I'm giving it back. Aren't I a good boy? His Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and my coming I would have received back with my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Oi, Folks, that's how the marketplace works. The stock market is literally, verse 28, put into practice. The stock market is nothing more, nothing less than trying to move money towards the most productive things. The most productive companies get the biggest investments. That's how that works. This is how economics works, and God, God knows how economic works. economics works. So our tendency is to say, well, this poor guy, why don't we just give him some of the talents from the other one? But that's putting resources into someone's hands who can't handle it. Who here has seen the, the shows on the people who win the lottery? Folks, the money blows through them like diarrhea. Just, boom, just it, 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 it. In a couple of months, seriously, a couple of years, they're broke. Their marriage is, is falling apart, the whole thing, because they, they don't know how to make anything work with this stuff. They're not trustworthy. The whole idea of human flourishing is to give the resources to the people who are the most productive. Good stewards of the money. They do good stuff with it. Elon Musk just got a $2.5 billion contract to build a moon lander just yesterday. Why did they give it to him? Because he's actually shooting rockets off and not just drawing them on paper. He's showing some productivity. Is it working well for him all the time? No, most of them are blowing up, but at least he's sending stuff up rather than just drawing it up on a screen somewhere. He's actually trying to add value and using reusable rockets that are way cheaper than the ones they just throw away so that's how the economy works if you're running a business you're going to put if you're running a business a small business you're going to put in the hands of your most productive employees your resources and the ones who are lazy you're just going to make them push a broom somewhere that's just how that's going to work now there's no there's no shame in pushing a broom i'm not saying that. i'm just saying that this is how the world works this is how the kingdom works and we want to who here hasn't, those of you who've had kids, have always wanted to give more to your kids. And those of you who are able to give more to your kids sometimes haven't because it wouldn't be a good investment. There's bazillionaires who give their money to charity because they realize that charities will do a better job with it than their kids will. It happens all the time. This is how the world works. Be productive. Add value. Get involved in the world, make things happen, make things better, fix up things that are broken, leave things better than you found them. Live a good, virtuous life while you're here and invest in human flourishing. The richest person I know, Bob Kern, who's worth about $700 million in Wisconsin, he built gas generators. And these gas generators he's he's the biggest builder of gas generators in the world by far they go under lots pretty much every one you ever buy under lots of different names was built in Wisconsin by Generac and he's the guy who did this he is a faithful churchman he's served on church boards he's been supporting churches and he's frustrated that churches only see him as a way to get a, a way to get an offering check or as somebody who probably got rich because he exploited his workers. And he says, why don't they see what I'm doing building, building generators as part of kingdom work? I'm providing work for 40,000 families in Wisconsin. Good work, and I pay them well. And we make a great product that goes out and provides electricity for lots of people. Why don't any pastors I work with see that as important? They just see me as a target for a check, or maybe worse, someone who's just gotten rich by stealing from people. Or he's gotten rich by adding value. And by the way, he's giving it all away. He formed a foundation with it, and he's trying to give it away, but he'll probably die first because he's 93, so he's working on it. But he's trying to give it away to things he knows. He's giving it away to 10 talent people who can do things with it. So, for everyone who has, more will be given, and he, who have, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This doesn't sound like Bible, but it is. This is how the world works. And those of you who are young, I just want to invite you to start adding value in a little way. It is a composting. It, a, it was, compounding, not composting. Composting is bad. Compounding is good. Those of you who are younger just getting involved in the work world, start adding some value. And that, it's a virtuous circle. It will lead to all kinds of opportunities, which lead to all kinds of other opportunities. And your life will be full of making abundance for people. Try not to look at the world as a place to get income. I want to get this job. I want to land this thing. Think in terms of I want to make something better. Show up at your job interview rather than saying, here's what I want to get, say, here's what I can do for your company. And look it up beforehand, by the way, what they need doing. Or ask the person hiring you, what isn't getting done? What's your pain point? How can I fix that? My guess is you're going to get hired. And you're going to do really well in the world. So everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And this is happening all over our economy today. Is happening continuously and totally. And one of the other keys is to be flexible. Who thinks you've got to be flexible when there's a pandemic? My wife and I got in a little discussion, and she won yesterday. But uh, the, the discussion was about what people should do if something doesn't work out job-wise. Well, go do something else then, is what Wendy said. And there's something about that. Just go do something else. Try something else. Well, I don't want to start over at this age. Well, so what? Some of you are going to live to be 115 years old. I mean, it's going to happen because the way medicine is happening right now and the way things are advancing. Some of you are going to be very healthy at 105. What are you going to do for the rest of that time? Sit around and go on cruises? I hope not. I mean, go on a cruise once in a while. But if that's your goal in life is to go on cruises and live at a resort, that's uh, you're missing something out. You're missing something. <laughs> And cast the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, people can spiritualize this passage, and it works in the spiritual realm, too, but it is about economics. Are you getting involved in the world? Are you getting involved in what's going on? Oh, this is all really just about spiritual stuff. Well, yes, but spiritual stuff is everywhere. There is not one cubic centimeter of the world where God doesn't say, that's mine. This chapel is not a holier place than a factory. A vocation in industry is just as spiritual as a vocation preaching. By the way, that was Martin Luther also 500 years ago. He led a revolution in vocation, in saying that vocation is holy no matter what you end up doing. So, this is a story. The three servants, the talents, That is a restatement of the first commandment, not the first of the ten, the very first. The very first commandment was given in the book of Genesis, and it was given five times. Who thinks God's trying to get our attention if he says the same commandment five times? And here's the commandment As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful, add value, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. This doesn't Necessarily mean having lots of kids. It can mean that. But it can also mean make the world a better place. Human flourishing is really important to God. Human flourishing is really important to God. And to make the world a better place is what we're here to do. And I look at you folks, your faces here. You guys all know this stuff, anyways. I wish all of the poor, unprofitable servants would show up in church instead of you guys, because you guys get this. You're all value adders. I mean, I know you all pretty well. It's like you teach a parenting class and all the best parents show up. You know, it's, you guys already know this. But what would it take to bring this out to the rest of the world? To change it from what can I get to what can I give? What can I contribute? What can I, how can I make the world a better place today? Not how can I get the world to give me more? Because the world gives you more when you add value, because you're responsible with it. That's how it works. It's not a matter of dividing up the pie more fairly. It's a matter of making a bigger pizza pie. Let's grow the economy so everybody has more. Let's, let's build abundance so that everybody has access to things. This is what it's about, creating abundance. And everything we do, if we're adding things in the world, is creating human flourishing. And that blesses God, because that's one of the best ways to love your neighbor, is to create wealth. Not just for yourself. In fact, a lot of people control wealth that they don't own. Who thinks people who sit on school boards and water boards and other things are responsible for a lot of money? who sit on volunteer committees that manage all kinds of things. That's adding value, too. You don't, it doesn't have to be for you. That's not the point. You can only eat so many hamburgers and drive so many cars. At a certain point, you have to plow that back into what's going on. That's how this works. More interested in generating than receiving. For it's in generating that we receive. And you guys all know this. I wish we could just fill the church with lazy people. And and just preach this sermon. I really wish we could, because you guys aren't that at all. You guys are hard workers, and you guys show up, and you understand this. Who here gets frustrated that all the right, all the, never mind. That's just, it's my thing. It's my thing. We're all homesteading. What's the goal of homesteading? To prove up the property. You get a piece of land, and you improve the property, and you get to keep it. That's what we're all doing, people. This is, this is a beautiful painting by Harvey Dunn. This is uh, the, the Prairie is My Garden, I think it's called. And this, these are homesteaders in South Dakota. This, this was painted just a bike ride from where Wendy and I were student pastoring in South Dakota back in the 80s. And this was all homesteaders out there. And if you want to read a great book about homesteading, Giants in the Earth by Rolvag, R-O-L-V-A-A-G. Oh my goodness, what they went through when they landed here and there's there's no farm there and they have to make one in the Dakotas? Yee. It was tough stuff, really tough stuff. And these people improved the land and produced food abundance like the world has never seen. Do you know that American agriculture, there's 330 million people in the United States, American agriculture could feed right now without even growing. Three times that. We produce triple in this country, agricultural-wise, what we need for our own calories. And it's people like this who did that. They created this fantastic breadbasket out of the plains. And that's what we're all doing. We all get a piece of land, in a way, and it's up to us to improve that land. And the goal of life is not just retiring someday and just not adding any more value. I do believe in retirement in the sense that being financially independent, you can do what you want to do and not be told what to do all the time, but you can still do a lot of great stuff. Do a lot of great stuff. In fact, you're more free to do good stuff if you've got the resources to do it. I prefer to call retirement financial independence. You get to financial independence, then you have more choice over what you do, which is a really good thing, by the way. So here's some practicalities. Adding value. You can do this at the smallest level. Every interaction with another person, you can add value to their day. Every cashier you meet, every person you talk to in an elevator, in those awkward conversations in elevators because we never know what to say. I had a weird one in my in an elevator recently. I was standing there and the guy looked at my arms, he said, I hate to say this, but I'm a blood guide, you got great veins. <laughs> okay. So, so at least he may have said something funny. So it, but we can, we can actually add value wherever we are. And a little bit of humor, a smile. This is one of the things I hate these masks because I mean, I was smiling at the worship team early this morning. I had to say, by the way, I am smiling at all of you. You, you, you can't really see that. And there's something about every time we cross a person's path, raising the value of what's going on. Suzanne could give lessons in this. Ingrid could give lessons in this. They both do it every time. You guys are so friendly and so cheerful. You could do that. We all could do that with every conversation. We can continue to add value to people's lives. Encouraging people. And we encourage people. Don't just say, that's great what you're doing. Be as specific as you can. The more specific a compliment, the more likely it is to stick say I really liked what you did here about this and what you did here meant a lot to me and I think you're really especially good at this rather oh, I just think you're I just think you're awesome well that means nothing awesome in california just means pretty good so it's it's yeah just say something specific when you talk to people as best you possibly can interactions with others eliminate fear from decisions why did the third servant fail because he was afraid. He was afraid. You got to get out there and one guy I know just uh, Dean Truitt, also a very prosperous guy, dear friend of mine, uh older guy from Oklahoma and uh he's gone broke one or two times. And he once I said, doesn't that make you nervous? He said, "No, I know I could do it once before, I could do it again." There, there's something about, there's something about not being afraid. If you're looking just for security in your life, you're not going to get it. You have to take risks. These guys had to take risks with the money to make a hundred percent on the return. They had to take risks with the money. You've got to give it a shot sometimes. You got to go for it. Eliminate fear from your decisions. Just go ahead and try things. Hoarding versus investing. Making lots of money to hire people and to invest it in the economy is not the same as hoarding. Hoarding is keeping it all for yourself, building bigger barns. You're not putting it back into the economy. You're not helping other people. Creating wealth for yourself so that you can give it away and you can actually benefit others is great. That's not hoarding. People get, get wealthy and people say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. You're building, up, building bigger barns. No, you're investing in the rest of the world. And there's a big difference. Boarding versus investing. Avoiding responsibility. That's what the third servant did. He avoided taking responsibility for what he was given. Taking responsibility is the key to authority. If you want to get more authority and respect in life, take responsibility. And nobody wants to take responsibility for anything anymore because they're afraid they're going to get sued. So everybody's afraid to take responsibility for things. I guarantee you, though, if you take responsibility, step forward. As Tamara says, volunteers are 40% happier. If you step forward as a volunteer, you're taking responsibility for something. And volunteering is the way forward in society. It's the way to advance just choosing to take responsibility for something, next thing you know, you'll be given authority by people. So many people I know spend their whole lives avoiding responsibility. Who will help us with this? Dead silence. Because people don't want to take responsibility for something. But folks, taking responsibility is a great joy because it gives you authority. I could do a whole other sermon there, so we'll just keep going. If you have too much stuff and you, your stuff starts to disintegrate, if your stuff is falling apart, you've got too much stuff. Sometimes we have to trim the amount of things we have so that we can take better care of what we have. Why should the Lord give us more if we can't take care of what we have? One the house cleaner, she does house cleaning in the Hamptons which is a wealthy place in, in uh, Long Island. And she has the, goes in and she takes away 40% of their stuff and gets rid of it. And she makes the statement that most Americans could get rid of 40% of their stuff and raise their standard of living. They'd be better off with 40% less. And I think that's probably true. My wife is a home organizer. She's seen some stuff that'll scare you to death, some of the things she sees piling up. But when your stuff starts to fall apart, it's a sign that you have too much. And we want to be faithful in what God has given us so that he can give us more. So think about that. Entropy is when things start to unravel and fall apart. We're not keeping things up anymore. When your weeds start to compost your house, you know, that kind of thing. It starts with grace. This story starts with grace. People were given huge amounts of money. It doesn't start with, uh, with the law or with... Our lives start with grace. Grace starts from the very beginning. We don't earn grace by saying yes to Jesus. Grace is there. Some of us never receive it. But in receiving Jesus, we say yes to that grace. That grace is there for all of us all the time, and those resources are infinite. And if those resources are infinite, we have access to that. One of my favorite parables is the prodigal son. I just love it. And people forget about this. People keep saying, well, all that we have is God's, and that's true. But what does he say to the eldest son? All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. We have access to the father's resources. That's good stuff. John Ellis over here keeps reminding us at uh, trustees meetings. We keep thinking, well, can we afford this? Can we do that? And he keeps saying, he's said this for years now. If we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, he will provide the funds. And it bugs me when he says it, but it's true. (laughs) It's true. And you keep saying that, by the way. There's something about that which is just very counterintuitive but true. It's a matter of getting closer to God's perfect will so that those resources which are infinite will will flow. That's how that works. It starts with grace. That's what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom is, God says, the kingdom is like this. These Why are these people doubling their, their investments? Because the kingdom power is working through them. They're doing all the things that create human flourishing. And be grateful every morning for God's huge investment in you. You are an abundance-creating machine. We are fantastic creators. I hate being called a consumer. I'd rather be called a creator. We are people who, we are reality-creating machines everywhere we go. We change the atmosphere when we walk into a room. We are, we are, if we knew how powerful we were because of God, not because of our own egos or anything, but the human mind, oh, the things we can do, the things we can learn, the things we can change, the things we can make happen, it is fantastic stuff. You have inside of an apple, what do you see when you cut it open? Some people see seeds, some people see an orchard. You have orchards inside of you. You have all kinds of stuff that is potential in all of us. And I look at this this is a this is a not just a five talent group, this is a 10 talent group. And we have those seeds within us to do all of these things and the world keeps telling us, "Oh, it's limited, resources won't work out, we're all going to get poor, it's never going to work." But God says, "No. You have the seeds of abundance in you. You have the seeds of flourishing in you." I keep saying this to Wendy. I said to her over and over and over. We get so much more out of life than we put into it. Why? Because God is abundant. We keep planting seeds all the time. But what God gives us is just it's fantastic i'm not talking money just yeah that a little bit too but it's it's all the other stuff i say to wendy at least a couple times a week we have a very rich life just rich in so many things we we're hanging out with with you guys as the breezes at your at your seder meal and it's just it was just so much abundance and joy there just just you guys all singing and your kids down there doing their things and those are beautiful times and to have those kind of things together and that kind of richness in our lives is a fantastic, fantastic thing. This worship team gets up here people. We have three of the best worship leaders don't tell the worship leaders this, but big churches would love to have them come lead worship at their churches, but we don't want them to know that because we want them to stay here but we have we have so much wealth up here and so much talent it's a beautiful, beautiful thing so The power of the kingdom is generated. I'm a word nerd. I go after etymologies. The word generative, generous, G-E-N, is the root for so many things. Generate, generator, generosity, genetic, generations, genesis, genius. It's all the same root word. That's what the kingdom The kingdom is generative. And we get to enjoy that generative, beautiful thing. That's what this life is about, to enjoy that and to promote human flourishing for others and for ourselves. And to enjoy the, the joy of the Lord's presence. And, and work on stuff and make it better. Just think of all those cool words that come from the same root. That's what the king this is what this parable says. This is what the kingdom is about. It's about generation, generating. Why are there so many genealogies in the Bible because that's generating life generation after generation. The psalms say, "You've been our shelter, Lord, for every generation. We generate the next oh, it's it's beautiful stuff. so here's what I'm inviting you to do. move from a spirituality of fear. And a lot of churches teach this, where God is a cosmic scorekeeper, and you better make sure your score is good, and don't make mistakes, otherwise, otherwise, God is going to get you. And there's a lot of Christian churches that teach that. It's all about keeping rules. It's a legalism thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with God's rules. God's rules are there to help us to thrive. But the minute we start thinking the main thing about our relationship with God is keeping the rules, we'll start to operate in fear. And we'll start hiding the talent. Martin Luther was asked about this. I'm using Luther a lot today, 500 years ago. And he said, I'd rather sin boldly and try to do what God is asking me to do than to worry about keeping score. Think about that. I'd rather just get out there and try to do what and make mistakes along the way, as long as I'm sure I'm doing what God wants me to do. The minute you're there, then you're in the kingdom. You're not in the world of fear. And the world of fear says, oh, God's going to catch me if I do something wrong. And we've got so many people hiding their talents in the ground because they're afraid that God's going to get them. Folks, Jesus died on the cross to put that away, to put that to death. To put that all to death. The scorekeeping. The scorekeeping is over. God wins. Grace is real. There's nothing in your life it doesn't cover. So get out and try something. Get out and make something happen. Go ahead and, and live some kingdom abundance. The, the the guy with one talent was living a fear-based spirituality. We better not make any mistakes. Who here knows people know people that don't make any mistakes and they also don't go anywhere? This is why I love baseball. Baseball, the best batters in the world, Ted Williams was the last one to do it, to bat 400. That means six out of 10 times he didn't make it to base. The best batter in the last several generations. Came from San Diego, for goodness sake. If If you can bat 300 for your whole career, you're in the Hall of Fame. That means you fail more than half the time. But if you're afraid to step up to bat, Ah. Everybody knows that Babe Ruth hit 700 and whatever home runs. He also still holds the record, I believe, you can check this, for strikeouts. That's a pretty big deal. Holds the record for strikeouts because he's swinging for the fence. But nobody remembers the strikeouts. These two guys swung for the fence and doubled their money. And they caught the, they caught the updraft of the kingdom and made things happen, made things work. The kingdom has resources beyond your own, and this is how you access them. So while we're waiting for the Lord to return, and he's going to, rather than worried about, oh, he's coming back, and he's going to be really mad about what I did. They're laughing at that too outside. Just... Let's read this together, if you can see it on your screens here. One, two, three. Adding value is leaving people places, and things better than you found them. That's what this parable is all about. Not just heaven someday. Our Christian faith should make a difference in our vocational lives. Next week, we are looking at forgiveness. How often should I forgive? Seven times? Seventy times seven. Another counterintuitive, scary thing, which most of us would really rather not do. So we'll be looking at that next week and invite the worship team up here. We're going to sing one more song, but let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray a blessing on everybody here, Lord. And I pray that this on YouTube gets out to some people who really need to hear it. Some people who are hiding their talents in the ground. Some people who are trying to keep things from going wrong, trying not to make mistakes. I pray, Lord, that people be bold and be willing to strike out and to have failure in their lives, so that they can swing for the fence once in a while. Lord, all of us have failed at things, and that should not keep us from getting back up to the plate and picking up the bat and going after it again. Getting back on the horse after we fall off. So, Lord, we we pray, Lord, that uh, that you would bless each person in our attempt to make ten talents out of five, to make four talents out of two. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who kind of wants to hide that one talent so they don't make mistakes, I pray that they make two out of one. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.
1: I had some insights I want to share from while House was talking. So he put GROW THE PIE up there, and immediately I saw an acronym or I don't know if it's an acronym but just GTP we can remember that grow the pie GTP yeah and then I wanted to um ask you guys briefly for any examples you might have um of adding value cuz as I was thinking about it like you can add value to a blank canvas by simply painting a picture on it you can add value to a guitar because what good is a guitar without investing in lessons and training and playing on it? Um, an empty recording studio is given value by having musicians go in and create something, right? And then if the if the recording is actually given to people um, or heard, that's additional value. So I kept thinking, every time we take a step throughout the day, we can view it as giving value to something or not. And Jesus' statement, we are salt or be salt and light of the world, is just another way of saying add value to it. So thank you for that message. That was, that was terrific.
2: In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and do your careful hand When I trust you I don't need to understand So make me a vessel Make me an offering Make me whatever you want me to be God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. You are breaking new ground So I yield to you and to your careful hand When I trust you I don't need to understand So make me a vessel Make me an offering Make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Because where there's new wine, because where there is new one, there is new power. There is new freedom. And the kingdom is here. I lay down my old to carry your new fire today. So we yield to you. So we yield to you and to your careful hand. When we trust you, we don't need to understand. Let's sing that one more time. So we yield to you and to your careful hand. When we trust you, we don't need to understand. So make us your vessels, your offerings. Here we go. So make us your vessels. Make us your offerings. Make us whatever you want us to be. God, we came here with nothing But all you have given us Jesus, bring new wine out of us Jesus, bring, Jesus, bring new wine out of us Jesus, bring new wine out of us
0: While Jen was singing, I got this uh, vision. I'd like to invite everybody to, uh, to stand up. We're not going to take communion here, but we've got uh, the communion elements in front. And I'd like you to see them, each one, as being a $750,000 talent, a talent in spiritual currency, And if you'd like to receive that from the master who's gone away and is coming back soon, I'd like you to come forward and take it, but not to open it, not to open it here. So just go ahead and come forward and take one. I'm going to take one. Because I want to receive what the Lord has for me. I'm going to invite you to take these home and spend some time this week taking out the cup and putting it in front of you. And asking the Lord this how can how can How can you bring new wine out of me, Lord? How can I add value today? How can I improve one person's life today? How can I live in the abundance of the kingdom? How can I get passionate about human flourishing? So to take this home, put it in front of you and ask the Lord, how can I invest this talent? The Bible says this is the body and blood of Jesus, so it's infinitely valuable. And what we're receiving when we receive this at home is infinitely valuable. And please don't rush to do this. The Lord will show you when this week to do this, when you've got some time to put this in front of you. And ask the Lord, Lord, bring new wine out of me. What I'm about to eat and drink And then take communion after you've prayed that prayer is of infinite value. This is the body and blood of your son. And that has more than enough resources for every challenge I'm meeting. The question is often asked, what would you do if you had infinite resources? Well, we do. We do have infinite resources. We have the resources of the Lord behind us. So I invite you not to open these up. Just hold it if you would. We're going to pray a blessing. Just hold it in your hand. Hold it up high. Let's pray a blessing over this. Lord, I pray that you bless these conversations that people are about to have. And Lord, I pray that they would be life-changing conversations. And that they would understand the value of what they're holding. It's not just a plastic cup. Your son said, this is my body, this is my blood. And we're holding the most valuable thing in the world. And that's your son's investment in us. And Lord, when he comes back, and he is coming back, I hope we can approach him with no fear and say, Lord, I doubled your investment. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Those of you watching at home, just uh, go ahead and do the same thing. You can grab a cup and some bread time this week and pray the same prayer because we're praying it with you. Have a wonderful week. And next week, it's 70 times 7, for those of you brave enough to come hear that one. And we'll see you then.